Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. In this episode, Allison Hufford is coming on the podcast to share both of her birth stories. They were vastly different, one of them vaginal and one of them more of an emergent cesarean section. We talk about how she is now pregnant with her third, planning a VBAC, how this birth is also vastly different from her first two because she is much more educated, much more prepared, and has done much more research around pregnancy and birth. We talk about her personal choices as far as where she stands on postpartum choices such as vaccinations. We talk about advocating for yourself, advocating for your birth wishes and how you can totally say no to a provider. You can say no to a nurse and you can say no to things that are being pressed upon you, which is of course a part of advocating for yourself. We talk about how she is planning a VBAC and how this pregnancy has also looked a little bit different for her since she is taking a much more natural and holistic approach. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Allison. Welcome back to another episode of What the Bump. We have Allison on the podcast to share both of her birth stories. So thank you for going on the podcast, Allison. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. And a fun little background. We actually went to high school with each other. So we totally know each other, have a little bit of a background. So if we sound maybe like extra comfortable with each other, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, it's so crazy. We're both like moms now. (laughs) I know. Well, soon. Well, I guess I'm technically a mom. Yes, you're a mom. You, right. I know people, people always say like, especially on mother's day, I'm in like a couple due date Facebook groups and they're like, um, somebody had texted one of the girls who's like around my pregnant, like 20 weeks or whatever. And was like, well, you know, even though you're not a mom today, like, I hope you enjoy your day. And whoo, was she mad? So I, I, <laughs> I know, right. Like, how do you say that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're still, I mean, you're carrying life inside of you. It's you're right, sacrificing you're already, every day for it. You're worrying already. You're taking care of yourself for your baby. You're nesting you're doing all the things you're yeah. mom already <laughs> yeah I think I like nest at a baseline of my life though because I like washed my walls the other day and I just like don't know if that's a normal thing <laughs> that anyone does but anyways okay so let's talk about you tell me how you met your partner tell me a little bit about yourself and your family okay so Ryan and I met in actually sixth grade math class we had together and it's really cute because our math teacher told us we were going we were going to get married one day <laughs> and that we had to name our first child Molly after her we didn't we had a cat named Molly but we didn't name our kid named Molly um and so that's when we met we started dating um the summer going into eighth grade so we were kind of like friends up until then and we dated off and on through high school, and then we've been dating consistently since 2014. Um, so, so you guys aren't even like high school sweethearts. You're like junior high sweethearts. <laughs> Next yeah, level. it's so weird. It was like 2008, I think, the first like summer we started dating, and that's just like, that was like, what, 13 years ago or something? Yeah. I can't do that quick math, but <laughs> no, so long enough. time. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, like what you like to do, and then tell me about your family. Um, I am a pretty big homebody, but I really enjoy, um, natural living stuff. I enjoy cooking from scratch. I enjoy gardening and 
homeschooling and getting involved with my church. Okay. And um, my family and I, we like to travel together. We also love doing outside projects together. And yeah, we still live in our little hometown that Ryan and I grew up in. So that's fun to see my kids growing up here too. And what are the ages and the names of your two kids? Um, Abigail is four years old. She'll be five in September and Wesley is two. He'll be three in October. You said you homeschooled them. I homeschooled Abigail this year and she'll be going to a private school through our church in the fall. Okay. Do you plan on like homeschooling them through high school and junior high or letting them like, are you going to do public? Um, we will not do public. That's just a personal choice we made, but, um, this program that is through our church, it incorporates homeschool. So she goes to school. Well, because of how young she is, she'll go to school two days a week. And then when she gets, I think the next grade, she'll go three days a week. And then the other two days, they send me like a curriculum to do at home with her. So she's still doing like five days of work, Yeah, but it's like homeschool and um, at church. So that goes up until sixth grade. And then I'll either continue homeschooling or um, send her to like a Toledo Christian school here locally. Yeah. I'm always curious about like people who homeschool because I, I think I would love to do it myself. Honestly, that's not something I'm thinking about just yet, but it's definitely like something that I've just always kind of like envisioned myself doing. I just think it's really cool. And especially, you know, like, obviously I still want to like involve them with sports and like, you know, things like that. I don't want to like shelter them and just homeschool, but I, I don't know. I just think homeschooling is like a really cool and interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely something that I always knew I wanted to do. And this year was really fun, even though she's still young, but I'm the type of person that like needs to be almost like told what to do. Mm-hmm. Like the freedom that comes with homeschooling is like really great, but it's also like not so great for someone like with a personality like me or like, I'm just like kind of lazy at times. So <laughs> I'm really excited. Like, let's just hang out today. <laughs> yeah. Let's go look at some bugs or something. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> Call it science way. class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to like be told what to do, but like still have that one-on-one yeah. like relationship with her. And right. Whatnot. So we are going to talk about both of your births with those two today. And you are currently pregnant with your third, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. And how many weeks are you? I am 19 weeks. Awesome. So we're going to talk about your other two births today, but then I will expect to have you back after you have this yes, little girl of course. <laughs> and that way we can kind of hear that birth story as well. So talking about your first birth, how did you find out you were pregnant? Like, were you guys trying or did it kind of surprise you? Um, it really surprised us because I was on birth control. I had been on birth control since my freshman year of high school. And so that was like, six years I was on birth control and I was put on a, a Z pack for like a sinus infection and literally for like seven days. And I got pregnant during that time because it canceled out my birth control. Yeah. They don't let you know that. (laughs) Listen, I am in healthcare. I am a grown woman and I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. No, they told me after it happened. (laughs) You're like, obviously it yeah. yeah. Which I was still seeing my pediatrician. So I don't know if that's why he didn't mention it or what. So how old were you? Um, 
I that was 2015. So I was well, I found out when I was 20, but I was okay. technically 19 when I got pregnant. And did you like miss your period or how, how exactly did you even think like to test yourself for being pregnant? Well, I actually thought I had appendicitis and so I was in a lot of pain and my mother-in-law now took me to the ER and, um, I ended up having cysts and they also told me I was pregnant. So then like they brought in the ultrasound machine and made sure that like the baby was there. And I was only, I was going on like five weeks. So they like saw the stack, but they're like, we don't know like if it's there or, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, that's how I found out. I thought I had appendicitis and turned out I had a cyst that ruptured and I was pregnant. (laughs) Were you like in complete shock? I mean, how, what were you feeling? I, yeah, I was speechless. Ryan at the time was working 12s. So I was like, this was early in the morning. So I was already like preparing, like, like, how am I going to tell him? And his mom's with me. So like, she's like, I need to leave for a little bit. Like she had to like walk out and just like process everything. And I processed it and I like called my friend and just, yeah, it was, it was a lot to take in, but overall it was obviously like a blessing. Yes. Big blessing for sure. (laughs) So how was that pregnancy? Like, did you have any complications with the pregnancy? Kind of take me through how that first pregnancy was for you. So from when I found out around five weeks until probably the first couple weeks of the second trimester, I was going through a lot of bleeding. So I was I was bleeding a lot. I went to the ER two different times. One time was for, um, um, was for my bleeding, like to make sure everything was okay. The second time was for fluids because I also was struggling with nausea and vomiting, like into the second trimester, just, it was, it was really bad. (laughs) Um, so that was the first and like second half of the second trimester. And then after that, it was pretty much smooth sailing and got to enjoy it more. <laughs> so why were you bleeding in the first trimester? Did they ever like give you a reason? Not really. Um, no, they didn't really tell me. They said that it was sometimes like normal for like first pregnancies to cause bleeding. But I mean, I was like consistently bleeding and they didn't know if it was because of my cyst Um, they also like thought they saw like another sack. So they didn't know if like one didn't make it and Mm. like Abigail did or so I really don't know what the reasoning was, but, um, it did clear up eventually. And how many like weeks did you bleed for? Would you say, um, probably, probably like a a month or so. Yeah. And it wasn't like straight through, but like, I would have like three days of like heavy, like mm. bleeding. Um, I even, when I went to the ER, it was because I passed like some clots. Wow. Yeah. Which, it, yeah, it was really weird. I mean, I have heavy periods normally. So that was like really worrying me because I'm like, am I miscarrying and like, yeah. this is my period or what? Um, obviously I didn't really know much cause it was my first pregnancy, but, um, she's, she was fine. (laughs) Yeah. That's just interesting to me that like, 
you know, they, uh, uh, doctors had told you that was normal because I mean, anybody out there can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, that is not normal. <laughs> like yeah. bleeding, bleeding like, oh, it, this will be my last. <laughs> yeah. Well, bleeding during pregnancy is not normal. Like that it's just not normal. Um, and especially bleeding clots and bleeding consistently for a month. I don't know any provider who would tell somebody that that's normal. So that's shocking to me. Um, like I said, some, anybody out there can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, that's just really interesting. And I, I had some spotting and bleeding in my pregnancy and I can't even imagine how that felt bleeding for like a straight month because I spotted for, I think it only lasted maybe two to three weeks. So, you know, a good, like a good amount of time, but I I'm talking like very minimal spotting. Like I would go three or four days without bleeding and then just wipe and have a little bit. And I had a subchorionic, um, like hematoma or subchorionic hemorrhage. It's where like a little blood pocket forms behind the placenta. And as the baby grows and the placenta grows, it kind of just like gets squished out and, and like empties itself. Yeah. So that is normal. You know, if you have one of those to bleed a little bit during your pregnancy, but I mean, I can't imagine. I'm just honestly like relating to myself and how I felt when I would just even have a little bit of spotting in the beginning of this pregnancy and the anxiety that would give me like bleeding clots, bleeding clots would be extremely scary. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. I don't know if they told me that because they really didn't know. Right. So they're That's like, you know, it's normal, but like coming from someone who first of all, wasn't even trying to get pregnant, mm-hmm. didn't even think that was even in my future at that time and then getting pregnant and then like having to go to the hospital and dealing with it. It was just, it was a lot, but And when you were having the bleeding, like, were they ultrasounding you also and like looking to make sure that the baby, you know, was fine? Yeah. I had almost weekly ultrasounds for like the first trimester. So I I have a lot of ultrasounds from Abigail. That's what they had told you. Like, you know, it sounds like almost like what you said, like maybe they just didn't know because everything looked so perfect, like perfectly normal with her. Yeah. Like, oh, it might just, you know, be normal. (laughs) Yeah normal for me, I guess that that pregnancy. (laughs) Right. So when you were thinking about birth preparation for your first birth, what were your plans? Like, did you do anything first of all, like specific towards the end of your pregnancy to prepare for it? And then what was your birth plan? Um, I didn't really have a birth plan. I did not do birthing classes. Um, I mainly like the third trimester, I mainly just walked like daily, like walking was my thing. I don't know why. I mean, obviously that's like really good for like labor and everything. Um, but that's pretty much all I did to prepare. And, um, yeah, I guess I kind of just wanted to go in with it, like with an open mind and, and were you planning a hospital birth? Yeah. And did you plan like an epidural or were you kind of just like open to kind of seeing how you felt in the moment? Yeah, I was pretty open to it. I didn't want to like decide anything. Well, I wasn't like a researcher or anything back yeah. then. So pretty much whatever my doctor told me, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I have yep. a feeling your next, when we get into your second birth story is going to be a little bit different <laughs> just from knowing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but your first one, you were kind of like, go with the flow. I trust my provider. I'll just kind of, you know, do what whatever. You didn't really read into it too much yourself. Nope. And I really didn't, I, I didn't have the, like the like circle of people I have right now. So I really didn't even know that like you had a choice, right? Like yeah. at all, you know, it's well, just like, and I'm sure, pregnant. you know, around 20, you are probably 
I mean, even right now I'm 23 having a baby and I'm the only one of my friends really, except for like a few that are even thinking about kids or having kids. So I'm sure at 20, you were the first of your friends to have kids. So it makes sense that you didn't have like that circle of people to kind of go to or get advice from. Yeah. Mainly just our moms and you know, they're very old school. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Things are different than they were, you know, a couple decades ago, but it's okay. (laughs) So tell me about going into labor. Um, it was pretty textbook. I mean, the whole process was it, except I could have like waited a little longer. Like it was almost like I was laying in bed and I was feeling my stomach and like having like little painful moments, you know, like contractions. And I'm like, Oh, it's time to go. And like totally calm, like not even really in pain or anything. And I got there and I, I mean, I was only like three dilated, so I could have waited, but, um, yeah, it was pretty much just went into labor naturally. And yeah. Yeah. And how was labor for you? Like, you know, you got to the hospital, they said you were three centimeters. I'm sure they ended up admitting you. And then how did things go from there? Um, pretty smoothly. Um, I was in labor for a very long time. It took me a while to get to like the first like half of the in um centimeters you know yeah, I like feel five like five centimeters yeah yeah I feel like that's like the longest time um so once I got to like once I got to like six I got my epidural and things started moving quicker um I was really close but my doctor's like not yet so I took a nap and I woke up and Abigail's head was like like out <laughs> so she's like oh I think it's time to push and I literally pushed like three times and she was out. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I always tell first time moms that usually I tell them, you know, pushing averages two hours because it really is for first time moms. That's completely normal. That's, that's textbook. (laughs) Two hours of pushing is textbook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's amazing that you kind of like were able to take a nap to, and, and, you know, I love natural birth. I love unmedicated birth but I'm super appreciative of modern medicine and a good epidural as well. I mean, either, you know, and, and I'm appreciative of an OR and a C-section. So that's amazing that you got to kind of get that epidural to the point where you were able to take a nap through her doing most of what probably would have been, you know, a good two hours of pushing and you barely had to. Yeah. It was crazy. When she told me that I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty easy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So how was your postpartum experience with your first? Um, postpartum was pretty good. Um, when she came out, I didn't tear anything. So I didn't have any stitches to deal with. Um, just the normal, like pain, obviously that came along with it. Um, emotionally and mentally, I was doing really well, which I was really worried about because when I got pregnant and a few years before I was on like an antidepressant and, uh, anxiety medicine, So when I got pregnant, I obviously like stopped taking it. And I was just like very concerned, um, for everything, like through my pregnancy and especially postpartum because of postpartum depression. Um, so I was really worried and, um, but I didn't want to like make plans to get right back on it or anything. Cause I had strong feelings about breastfeeding and all that stuff. So, um, I pretty much just took it day by day, but I, I'm, I mean, I'm really blessed. I really didn't have any struggles with it. That's awesome. And I can tell you right now, you did not tear because 
she just got to sit nice and low and move down herself. <laughs> Pushing for a long time usually is what tears you, but you've labored down okay. for a long time. So that's why. Okay. Um, yeah. I really didn't know like what I did to deserve yeah. that. But <laughs> what you did to deserve that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that definitely. And I always, I also always tell people like when it comes to postpartum depression, this is something that I, we cover pretty heavily, um, in discharge teaching at the hospital as a labor and delivery nurse, we always touch on like postpartum depression and, um, just trying to remove obviously like the stigma that's behind it because it used to be believed like, Oh, it's not like a real, it's not a real thing. Like you're just tired, you know, and it's definitely come to light. Thankfully recently more. So I think that it is a real thing. And like it, and I always say postpartum depression chooses whoever it wants. You could, and I tell this word for word to my patients. This is like my tagline. I say, you could have struggled with depression your whole life and you might do perfectly postpartum. And you could have been the happiest person in the world, never struggled with depression or a mental illness your whole life and ex- struggle extremely hard postpartum with postpartum depression. It picks who it wants and there's nothing like that you can, I mean, you can definitely do stuff to like decrease your risk and, and everything, but it's nothing to feel guilty about. And that's, I mean, that's awesome that you, even though you struggled, like you said, kind of prenatally that you were able to, to do really well postpartum. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you tell your patients that because that's honestly like the mindset I had going into it. Like I struggled so much before, like uh, I'm going to struggle after, you know, but But you might not. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's jump into your second birth. Mm -hmm. So tell me about finding out you're pregnant with your second. Um, I missed my period. Well, I actually put off taking a test for a little bit because, and were you um, all trying this time? No. Okay. Not again. Okay. Not trying. (laughs) But Um, were you on birth control? No, I did not get back on birth control. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I birth control, like really messed up my body and I didn't even realize it until like after when I was off of it for a while. So I didn't get back on it, but so it was like, it was honestly like a month and a half after my missed period or like a month. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll probably take one now. <laughs> I think I'm ready. And it's actually really funny. Cause I went to the store and I don't know if I just like did this like subconsciously or whatever, but I bought a bunch of sushi and which at the time I'm like, you can't eat sushi when you're pregnant. Um, I had sushi last night. <laughs> yeah. I have sushi all the time. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, so I was like, it was like the middle of the day. It was like three o'clock and I got back with it. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to take it, even though they say that you should take it in the morning. Um, I was like, it's been so long. Like if I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant and it'll show up. So I took it and I was just sitting on the floor eating sushi and it popped up like right away. Well, I'm assuming I thought I heard you wrong. I was like, did you just say, so you were like five weeks, five weeks late on your period when you took it. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that came up positive. Very, so before, Very fast. before that, in between your first and second, you said you weren't using birth control. Were you using like any, you know, were you using condoms? Were you using like natural family planning, like temperature tracking or anything like that? Or were you just like cycle tracking? Um, I track my cycles, but because of breastfeeding, they were very gotcha. inconsistent. Right. Um, so we weren't really doing anything. Okay. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sure that was, did you, did you, so you were five weeks past a period. Did you have any symptoms at the time that you took the test or no, you were just like, okay, so not yet. No symptoms. 
and, and just a side note, what we said about sushi, uh, do your own research, (laughs) take the advice of your OB. Don't take the advice of us. This is not a medical podcast, but I will tell you that very generic websites, like, um, what's the one it's like parent parenting.org or parents.com or parent.org just published an article recently by the OB at Harvard stating how sushi is actually considered very safe in pregnancy. Women in Asia eat it all the time. It does not actually have the capability to harbor many harmful bacteria. So just side note, don't take our advice, do your own research, (laughs) talk to your OB, make an educated, informed decision yourself. But that is why me and Allison have eaten sushi. Anyways, back to your birth stories. Um, so what did you do after you found out that you were pregnant and it was positive? Um, well, we're pretty much expecting it yeah. because of how late I was. So, um, we, I made my appointment, which was obviously very quick because it was I like was, the week prior. Yeah. Yeah. You should have came in last week. Um, but I, my first trimester was very smooth. Like I still didn't have any symptoms. So it was really hard for me to like grasp that I actually was pregnant because it was just so different from being pregnant with Abigail. So when I found out, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm pregnant. And I even went to my appointments, had my ultrasound and I was just like, why don't I feel pregnant? still? like, it was so weird. Did that like cue you off that it might've been a boy in a way because like you had had a girl and it was rougher, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I kept telling people. I'm like, this is so different. Like, I really think it's a boy. And, um, but of course everyone's like, those are like wives tales. Like, right. you can't go off that. like, and which I know, like I have friends that just get sicker each pregnancy right. or, you know, like everyone's different, but I was like, no, like, I really think it is. And it was. <laughs> yeah. So did you have any like struggles throughout your pregnancy? I know you said you didn't have like much sickness. Did you have like any bleeding or things like that, that you had had with Abigail? Nope. I didn't have any bleeding. Um, the only thing that I struggled with was weight gain, um, which my doctor never told me that I needed to like watch it or anything. Like it was never a concern to her, but it was more just really hard on my body and mentally also. So that's like really the biggest thing that I struggled with his pregnancy. But, um, besides that his pregnancy was just so smooth. (laughs) Yeah. And I know you had said at the beginning of the podcast that you're really into like, you know, natural living. I know you're into like essential oils, holistic things, um, living kind of like a clean and holistic lifestyle. When did that start, you know, prior to this pregnancy, um, prior to your second pregnancy, or was that after both of your two pregnancies? Um, well, I feel like it kind of started before I got pregnant because that's when I dropped birth control. And that's when like, I was kind of like opening that door to like the possibility of like oh maybe like birth control was like not for me and causing this these issues in my body and um but I really didn't get into it until um it was like the third trimester and that was because my daughter was hospitalized for constipation she was very backed up she was vomiting and so she had to have like tubes in her to get cleaned out and everything. It was like very traumatic. And, um, they put her on Miralax. They're putting her on like medicine to help her poop. And it was just like making her feel awful. So that's when I was like, she can't like live on this medicine. And my friend Hannah, she gave me a tummy oil for Abigail and was like, just try this and try like 
juices and um, incorporating more like fiber and all the things like natural fiber and stuff that you find in food. Um, so I did that and she was off her medication within like two weeks. And mm. yeah, so that's, that's when I really like started to get into it. Yeah. And are there things that you feel like you did differently during your pregnancy, during your second pregnancy than you had in your first one because of that? Um, the one thing I didn't do too much of was ultrasounds. Okay. Um, but like I turned down one of the one, one of like the ultrasounds, I think it was the one at the, at the very end I turned down, but, um, besides that, nothing really, I still got, um, the actually, (laughs) actually I got the flu shot and I got, um, the, like, what's it called? The DTAP? TDAP. Close. TDAP. <laughs> Literally like the word switch or the letter switch. Yep. Um, so I got those during the pregnancy and like right after is when like I started to get into that and I really regretted doing that. Okay. Um, just personal choice again. Yes. So I do really- have a whole podcast on flu and TDAP. So if somebody's like, what is she talking about? What kind of choice? I want to educate myself. Go back. I can't list. I, I can't remember honestly what episode number it is off the top of my head, but it is on there. It's called like Tdap and flu vaccine during pregnancy. So you can go listen to those if you want more information on that. But- yeah. So again, I really didn't think I had choices or anything like at this time, even though I was wanting to do more natural things, I still didn't know that like I could say no or you know what I mean? So I didn't really do anything different. His pregnancy okay. um, after he was born is when I started to change it. Yeah. So what was your birth plan or birth preparation with him? Was it any different? Like, I know you said you kind of more so dived into it after, but during, for his birth, were you planning anything different than Abigail's or did you kind of want to do the same thing, you know, kind of like a smooth textbook labor epidural and birth? Um, I wanted to put the epidural off a little bit more just because I did not like how immobile it made me. Like I, since it took me so long to progress to like the next stage in labor, I wanted to be able to walk around more and, you know, help naturally move her down. Um, so that's something that I wanted to try to hold off with, with Wes is epidural. Um, but besides that, I really wanted to kind of do things the same way because everything was so smooth. (laughs) Um, but actually my last, appointment with my OB she told me that she was going out of town the week I was due and um she's I was like measuring like two weeks ahead and she was like I think Wesley's like very big and um so I would like to be there for your delivery and so she scheduled me to be induced and I highly 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 regret that yeah but with, and this was, you probably thought, you know, did you think you had a choice in it or, you know, you were able to talk about it or were you just like, okay, it's what she recommends. I'm, I have to do it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So how, how was that then? How was, you know, technically not, I don't want to say like going, not, you didn't go into labor, but how was your induction? What did that look like from when you arrived at the hospital? Honestly, I mean, this is the only experience I know of because, you know, it was my experience, but it was a mess from the beginning. It was just very slow and it was very painful. And I feel like they had to keep giving me like new stuff or like upping my doses. And, 
um, yeah, it was just very painful and still was not like progressing and they had to break my water and just, it just didn't feel natural at all. Like it just felt wrong. And, um, my midwife now, cause I changed doctors, my midwife actually like read over the sheet because midwives don't do C-sections obviously. So I like asked her, I'm like, I had a C-section, like, can you still see me? And she read over and she was like, honestly, like it was just Wesley's position positioning. He wasn't ready for the, to be induced. So like, I don't think that would happen again. Right. Obviously she doesn't know, but Right. She was like, Wesley was not in birthing position. So it was just slow progressing. I pushed for like three hours. Um, I don't know if it was because of all the medication they gave me or my stress or what, but I was vomiting like a lot. Um, so it was just, it was an awful, awful experience. So did you, so you, you, you were induced they had to do a lot of different things, give you different medications. At some point they broke your water, you got an epidural and then, and then you got, you got to 10 centimeters though, right? Like you got to 10 centimeters and you were pushing. And so yep. you, you said you got a C-section. Why did you end up with a C-section? Well, so actually my doctor ended up getting off her shift. So I was with a new doctor Okay, and, um, he, I was pushing with him and he was telling me that Wesley was coming down, but I just needed to push more and push more. And he was like, he was kind of like messing around a little bit. Like I could tell that he was trying to like move him or whatnot. Yeah. So, um, but he kept telling me that Wesley was progressing and that I just needed to keep trying, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing. And literally like when it hit the like three hour mark or whatever, he's like, you know, we've been at this for three hours. Wesley's not moving. Like, I think he's like wedged in my pelvic bone or something. I don't know. But um, basically Wesley was not progressing that whole time. Um, I mean, maybe he was a little bit, but just how my doctor was talking to me, it was like, you know, like Wesley was coming, you know, like it was, it was, I was doing, I was pushing and it was working. And, but Wesley was stuck and he's like, you know, we got to rush you to a CT or not a CT, a C-section and yeah, and mm-hmm. get him out. So it wasn't anything like his heart rate wasn't down. He wasn't in distress. You were in distress. It was more so that he just at the three hour mark, just didn't feel like, you know, you were progressing enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because, well, he also, he wasn't progressing, but, um, I don't know if like the fluid amount also would have to be a concern because they, you know, pop or um, broke my water at some point. And then I was taking that long to like push him out. So, I mean, maybe you could tell me if like the fluid as, would be an issue. You mean as far as like your water being broken for too long almost? Yeah. No, um, yeah. ACOG technically states that your water can be broken for up to 72 hours as long as you're like a febrile before you need intervention. So, um, was your water broke for 72 hours? No. no. Because I know that like, sometimes when they do ultrasounds, they like tell you that like your, your fluid is low or your fluid is good. You know what I mean? So I just thought maybe like they have to have a certain amount of 
fluid for a certain amount of time. No, as long as his heart rate, you know, was stable and he wasn't having like any D cells or he didn't seem, you know, it's, it's all about, it's all about the baby. So you can push for, I've pushed for, unfortunately, I hate to say that, but I've pushed for almost six hours with a patient before. And we pushed for that long because the baby looked fine. The baby wasn't in distress. He wasn't dropping his heart rate. Mom still had energy to keep going. And that baby came out vaginally. So it, it really just, it really more so depends on the baby's heart rate. Like as long as baby's not in distress and you're not in distress, um, there's not necessarily usually a reason or a rush to do a C-section. Um, or, you know, if you start like developing a fever or becoming unstable, things like that, of course, but your, if your water wasn't broken long and everything, um, and granted, like, I don't know, you know, what was going on. It, it could have been to where the doctor was like, you know, he's turned kind of funny and he really doesn't seem like he's going to come out. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't have to do with necessarily probably the time you're like the amount of time your water was broke. Okay. Yeah. I really didn't know what, I mean, I figured he saw me just vomiting the whole time, you know, hours straight exhausted and Wesley not progressing. And he was probably just like throwing in the towel. Like, let's just get the baby out. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that like postpartum experience for you? as far as like, even emotionally, because there's a lot of emotion, you know, when you have an unexpected C-section for a lot of people that can be, you know, a little bit traumatic and emotional. Um, so how, how did you feel like postpartum was as far as an emotional side and then like a physical healing aspect as well? Um, well, even when they told me I was having a C-section, I broke down, like obviously because I was very hormonal and everything and everything was happening so fast, but Um, that was my first surgery ever. And I still vomited through my whole C-section. I was shaking and it was just like, it was such a traumatic experience for me. And, um, so that kind of like, it didn't like scare me off from like getting pregnant or anything again, but, um, I was definitely like affected by it for a little bit after. Um, and physically it was, it was awful. Like it was so different from having a vaginal birth. I just, I, like, I couldn't use my stomach muscles at all. And like, you use that for everything, you know, to sit up or sit down or cough or talk, laugh, you know, like I was just like consistently in pain and it was, um, really hard emotionally also, because then I couldn't take care of the baby. I wanted like the way I wanted. So that was really hard. Um, just knowing that, like how incapable I was because of it. Like, I just felt like I was bedridden and right. Yeah. 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 I feel like it definitely can be like really hard on people emotionally. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, like every birth's amazing. I'm so thankful for unmedicated birth, epidural births and C-sections because, you know, C-sections are definitely warranted in many situations and the healing is definitely like very, very different. And that's why, that's why I love doing my podcast because I love to just create a space for a woman to come and to tell her story and her experience and how she felt. It's not about, you know, how you should feel after this or this happens. It's about how you felt and what your experience is. So Thank you for even just sharing, like being real and vulnerable and sharing, like, you know, you really, you struggled postpartum as far as feeling like you couldn't care for her and even physically, because that's your experience. And C-sections definitely can be a little bit harder to heal from for sure. I mean, it's a major surgery and especially when you weren't expecting that and you weren't planning that and your mindset was probably like, oh, well I pushed, 
you know, only a few times with my first. So this one's got to be even easier. So I definitely can see that being challenging. Yeah. And I feel like it's also, um, I have, I have a friend who had a C-section. Well, she's had two now, but, um, I talked to her after her first one and I feel like a C-section recovery is like years, like even, even today, um, my stomach is different. My, my muscles are different. I have buildup of scar tissue. I have the scar. Um, and like, of course you're, you're thankful because it brought you your baby, but it's also like such a conflicting mental game because it's just like kind of not like it doesn't ruin your body. Of course it doesn't ruin your body, but it's just, it really changes your body from when, if you have like a vaginal birth, if you tear whatever, you know, you go through the months of recovery and then you're very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like a lot of women also deal with like a mental aspect of like almost feeling like they failed. And I've had women on the podcast say that I've had many patients who I've pushed with, and we end up in a C-section tell, like be very upset and tell me like that. They feel like that their body like failed them in a way. And that's like a really valid, real feeling to have. It's not true by any means. It's not true at all. Like you can't control. There are so many things out of our control. I mean, labor is out of our control. We couldn't control that. His head was maybe turned a little bit to a wrong way to where it didn't slide through the pelvis or, you know, we can't control birth in general, but it's still like a very, very valid feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I I was not expecting everything that came along with it at all. You know, like I had little knowledge to a C-section and obviously I was not planning to have one at all, but, um, just postpartum just kind of blew my mind of just what women go through. Right. And the healing and everything like that. Yeah. So jumping in now to your third pregnancy, what has this pregnancy looked like for you? What are you planning as far as birth? Cause I'm sure it's probably vastly different than even your other two. I mean, every one of your birth stories is going to be so different by the end of it. You're going to have covered probably every base, <laughs> every story, every birth story in one. So what are you planning for this one? Kind of what you're planning different for birth and then postpartum as well. Going back to Abigail's, she was, um, vaccinated right after birth. Um, I didn't, I don't, I don't even know what they Well, I know a few that they get in the hospital, but at the time I, I was just like, yeah, give her whatever. Wesley, um, is when I started more natural, um, stuff. So he did not get anything. He did not get circumcised either. Um, and then going into this pregnancy, I changed doctors. I'm with a midwife now, um, which I'm really happy with. Yeah. That's um, I did have my, I'm, I'm still doing ultrasounds. I did have my first ultrasound. I will get one at 20 weeks. Um, and depending on how my midwife feels, maybe because of Wesley's position, I will get the last one. Um, I'm not like, I'm not like totally opposed to ultrasounds. I know that, you know, it's better for you not to. Um, but after Wesley, I think I'm, I probably will do the ultrasounds. Um, I will not do any vaccinations for myself this pregnancy and Wesley will not, or Amelia will not get any. (laughs) Um, As for birth, I am going to try and labor at home as much as possible. 
I am not having a home birth. I'm going to do it at um, the hospital, Flower Hospital. Um, I'm going to try naturally. <laughs> I'm not going to make up my mind of not taking anything for it um, just because I, I don't know. I feel like if I choose like right now not to have any medication and then if I feel like I need it, I feel like I would like get down on myself. Yep. So I'm just going to be open to it. Yeah. Obviously I'm going to go in with it um, strong and I can do it. And um, that's a great mindset to have. Like, I'm not going to say I will not get an epidural, but I'm going to try my best to have an unmedicated birth. And if I get an epidural, I get an epidural, you know, that, that truly like is a very healthy and a very good point to be at. Yeah. Cause I feel like if I'm here telling people like, no, I'm not going to get one. I'm not going to get one. And then like in the hospital, if I'm like really struggling, like I feel like mentally with everything happening, I would just like break down, like, but I said, I wasn't going to get one. Like, you no know, need I for that. Give in. Yeah. So, um, and I'm planning a VBAC. Yes. So, um, I need to look more into that, but yeah. there are some very good podcasts. Um, VBAC link, I think, I think it's called VBAC link, okay. um, is a podcast all on VBACs. And I just listened to another one today by, um, doing it at home podcast. I'm going to send it to you. That was, um, a VBAC story. And she talks about this website that she used as a great resource for VBAC. So definitely, um, definitely, definitely check those out just to, you know, just empower you to, I think hearing positive VBAC stories can be extremely powerful when that's what you're going for. But I mean, the good thing is you've, you've had a vaginal birth. We know your body is highly capable. We know your pelvis is capable. So I think you will do amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty confident in it. So, and I'm excited that my midwife is also confident in her ability and my ability. So I'm yeah, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much my plan. I don't plan much, but like in this situation, but, um, my pregnancy and birth plan do look different than like Abigail's or even Wesley's. And I would say, yeah, they look different, but it's like, they're different in the way that you have just put in time and research and evidence and you've chosen what you want. And I'm not saying anybody who, you know, vaccinates or gets an epidural or does a home birth or has a scheduled repeat C-section isn't educated or done the research or, you know, I'm not saying that they're not that I'm just saying you've done the research and looked at the evidence and have chosen chosen things that then fit you and your life and your family and your personality and your beliefs. And I think that that's the biggest difference with, you know, what you're doing now is that you have just really dove in and invested into the time and like the research of it, which is an amazing thing to do. I clearly with this podcast and everything else I do in my life, I'm all about education. I just don't think that you can ever educate yourself enough on, on, anything in life, but especially things surrounding your body and pregnancy and birth and, and having, and being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is my third time and I feel like I finally like grasped that, you know, like your, your OB doesn't control like your, you know, the route you want to go. Like you have so much say you have like all the say, you know, yeah, you like you of the take say. your doctor, like, yeah you're given the opportunity to be in control of something like don't take that for granted. Like don't let your doctor control it. 
be knowledgeable. And if you want to go with your doctor's suggestions after, you know, doing your own research and that's great, you know, whatever you feel com confident in do. But, um, I love talking about it. I love talking about it with my friends and everything, because I feel like, I mean, even you said, you're like, if you don't want to share, you don't have to, but I feel like it's important for, um, to talk about it because I feel like if you don't, then people aren't really exposed to like people making those decisions, you yeah. know, like if you're quiet about it, then someone doesn't know that they can speak up. Yeah. Yeah. And I literally told somebody that today, um, somebody who I was talking to just had a couple of questions and she had said, um, you know, she basically essentially didn't know that you could say no. She thought, you know, once you're in the hospital and you're under care and, you know, like a doctor comes in for an example and says, Hey, it's time to break your water. She didn't know that she could say no. And I was like, Oh yes. Like that is your body. You 100% have to say anything surrounding anything that's done to you throughout, not even just throughout pregnancy, labor, delivery, birth, postpartum, but your life when it comes to the medical field, like you have the ultimate say, like things are suggested, but it doesn't mean you have to do them. And I think that that's really empowering to know that like, you know, you can say no, like even as a nurse, I cannot do a single thing to you or give you a single thing without your consent. And neither can a doctor. doesn't matter how long they go to school for. doesn't matter how much money they make or what degree they have. They cannot do anything to you without your consent. And same thing on the other side of that, as far as like, you know, how you said, like, you don't always have to go with what they say. I really like to empower people like OBs are and midwives and any type of doctor. They're amazing. They know so much far more than I probably ever will in my lifetime, but they don't always know everything. Like they don't know all the most recent research at all times. They don't know every answer to every question you have. So never be afraid to do your own research on the side. And then when your OB suggests something and you disagree, and then they disagree back with you, you can pull out that app. Like, I really like to empower people, like print things off, like take this research, take this evidence to your OB present it to them. Like, let's say you're in facing an induction and you don't want one and your OB is really pressing it, print off some evidence, take it to them and show them why you feel the way you do. Um, I think that that's just a really empowering thing that people forget about also. Yeah, definitely. Especially because the people surrounding you during those times weren't there with you for the first or second, you know, like they don't know how your induction went. They don't know how your epidural went. They don't know how blah, blah, blah went. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like you have to advocate for yourself, even though like you have a midwife there or whatever, but, um, yeah, and you, you know, also your body. Have to, you have to choose a provider and a support team who supports you in the end too. I think that is also a thing like, you know, you can always switch providers and pick a new provider and one that's going to support you and not just kind of like give you backlash and question you. Um, even when it comes to things about like vaccinating, like, you know, that is your choice. And if you need to present a pediatrician with some up-to-date evidence, you know, just, and just to get them to, you don't need them to change their, their mind, but just to get them to respect yours, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that kind of brought me back to the flu shot situation with Wesley. I had never got a flu shot before. And when they were asking me about the flu shot and the other one, which I already forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, when they're asking me about those, I got the first one, but I did not get the flu shot. And they literally asked me every time I was in the office to get it. And that's literally why I got it because I felt like I, 
couldn't really say no. Like I kept putting it off and they just kept pushing me. So I did it. And literally like right after I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I've never gotten a flu shot before. I, I don't like support that, you know, like I don't get my kids it. Ryan doesn't get it. We just, it's just a personal choice. And I don't know why I gave in, but it's just like, I feel sometimes so little in those situations where I feel like the decisions are already made for me. Right. Yeah. And I think it's all about like, it all comes back to like, you know, the education because like, I'll be, I'll be transparent with you. I get really irked in the hospital when somebody like refuses a ton of things, but they can't even tell me a single reason why, you know? So if you're going to refuse vaccines or refuse a certain aspect of your care, I just want people to feel empowered and educated because I think education is, is power. And if you can tell me why you don't want it or, or, you know, I don't know. I just think it makes all the difference rather than just being like, no, I'm not going to give, you know, I'm not going to do ABCDEFG or let you do ABCDEFG to my newborn because like, just because that doesn't make any sense. So I think there's definitely like a happy median and I'm all for like, you know, advocating for yourself and your beliefs and your wishes and what you want. And that is why I like to hear birth stories and tell birth stories and do all this education because I just like people to know their options. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, do you have your top two like tips or bits of advice for new moms or soon to be moms? It's very overwhelming, like all the information, all the different things that come along with pregnancy and whatnot. Um, And things may not change your mind, but put in the time to research everything. Like, yes, there's a lot. Yes, it's very overwhelming. But I mean, I have regrets with each of my pregnancies. Um, so I just really wish I would have like fully engaged myself in everything before, um, I had my births and whatnot, but yeah, basically just put in all the time you can, you know, read knowledge is power and also Mm -hmm. be very open to anything happening in that room because, things will not always go the way you think they will. Even if, you know, you're like, oh, this is my second. I already had one. Like, no, every single pregnancy is completely different. Yes. I could not agree more. Very true. (laughs) So where can people find you and connect with you? Um, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle thing, is that what they're called? Instagram Um, handle. You're not that old. (laughs) Sometimes I feel old with TikTok and everything. Um, it's Allison Hufford, Allison Hufford blog. That is my Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So people can find you over there and I will link that in the show notes for this podcast as well. But Allison, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing both of your birth stories. I'm extremely excited and hopeful for your third. And I am excited to also have you back in a good few months to tell that birth story. Yes. Thank you for having me. I love talking babies and births and pregnancy. Well, so do I. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.